members of the group and other anti-Trump protesters were seen. You did it. You did it. You did it. Now prove it wrong. You did it. Because our government is tearing apart their families, Madam Speaker. Politics are often contentious. Excuse me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. And we're living in an age of unparalleled polarization and anger. You are deceiving all the same of your Republicans who voted you for him six months ago. Tear him up. It seems our culture is fraying at the edges, including the church in America. Get a grip and learn how to govern the country. Is that something real? Supporters and opponents of Donald Trump. The gentleman and the gentleman will observe regular order. The gentleman will observe regular order. How can we be used for the kingdom to bring understanding and peace to our nation? How can we learn peace for ourselves? Well, hello. Thank you again for being here with us. Um, it looks a little different today, and one of the things that I feel like as a church we have really uh, nailed down and gotten perfect is to expect the unexpected <laughs> and to just roll with it. And so this week, um, Greg did get COVID, and so he is not here because he needs to be home and he needs to be getting well and, and, and staying healthy. So thank you for those of you who already knew and who have been praying for him. He is feeling much better, um, but yeah, he got the COVID. And so uh, he is home, but we are not deterred. We just keep soldiering on and I know he is with us in spirit. So uh, I am Shauna Bourne, in case I didn't say that earlier, in case you forgot. And I am excited because we have a really fruitful and rich discussion that's gonna happen today. And then remember, after today's discussion, at the end, there's going to be a live Q&A. And so we invite you to send those questions in. If you need that text number again, it's 651-321-3030. And so I want to catch us up. Uh, we have been in this series, A House Divided. This is our fourth week. And we started out this series by talking about a tale of two kingdoms. Greg showed us how we are in this world, not of this world. We are the kingdom of God living amongst the kingdom of the world and how those two kingdoms really can stand opposite one another. And what is our role as the church and as kingdom people to try to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God while we are living amongst the kingdom of the world? And it is not easy. <laughs> We wrestle with that, but we are called to be that light that we sang about earlier. We are called to bring something different. God's dream is that we as humans, as his creation, as his reflectors, that we would care for the earth and the animal kingdom, that we would have dominion in a loving way, but never dominion over one another. But we are finding, especially now in such a polarized time in our world, that we are turning against one another and we're trying to power over one another. And so when we started this series, we really challenged one another and ourselves to not do that, to not play that game, to, to not try to lord over one another because that was never God's intent. We are to care for and love and, and protect one another and, and spur one another on to good works. 
And then in our second week, we got to hear a little bit more again about the elephant and the writer. And Greg gave us a tiny little assignment just to read a quick little 500-page book by Jonathan Haidt. And um, hopefully you guys have all done that. You know it inside and out, backwards and forwards. But so many times when we're in heated discussions, we think we are functioning out of reason. But because we're triggered and we're emotional, which is not a bad thing to be emotional. We're emotional humans. But because we, are, we do get triggered, we're, we're not really acting out of reason as much as we'd like to think that we are. We are responding out of our woundedness many times. We're responding out of um, just those emotions that are kind of trying to take over. And so we've been, again, challenged to try to de-escalate those conversations and not react out of those emotional ways. And then last week, we heard about how the enemy, we don't want to be ignorant of his schemes, but the enemy is busy at work to continue to divide us and to continue to play us in this time of polarization. And one of the ways that he has been doing that is through social media. And we're not saying social media is bad, no, but it is a tool that can be used to further divide. And the enemy is not dumb, and so he has done that. And so you, you know, you're out there, you've been a part of it, that there are so many times when we're getting um, in these arguments <laughs> through social media, and it's causing huge divisions, not only globally and in our country and in our state, but even within our families and within our communities. And so we always have to circle back to the fact that we are kingdom ambassadors, dwell in this world, that we are called to be the light. We are called to shine God's love. And so as we're trying to do that, we need to learn how to better have civil dialogue. We need to learn how to have conversations that can get heated, but that we don't cast the other person as an enemy and we don't belittle the other person. And so Kevin this is where I want you to jump in and um, help us unpack a little bit more about this whole concept of the fact that we are supposed to be kingdom ambassadors here on the earth. And for those of you who don't remember, Kevin Callahan is our discipleship and formation pastor. He is an invaluable source around here for us at Woodland Hills. He oversees um, SOMA, the, the, the ministry school that we have here, and he has a therapy, therapy background. And so he comes with a wealth of knowledge. We, we pull on your resources all the time, Kevin, and your, and your brain and your mind. And also, you guys, Kevin wasn't scheduled to be here, but remember, Greg got the COVID, and so Kevin has stepped in, and so we thank you for that, Kevin, and now I'm just asking you if you can kind of bring us to where we are today, circle back to the Kingdom Ambassadors thing, and, you know, we're living in this world, and how can we best be those Kingdom Ambassadors? Awesome. Thanks, Shauna. Yeah, I have a therapy background. I've had lots and lots of therapy, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, we are in you know this the tail end of this election season, this election process. The election is just a little over a week away, which is kind of crazy. Mm. We've been in an election year for months and months, and it's 2020, and <laughs> this has been a year, not just an election year with all the typical polarization, tension, division, etc., but COVID and George Floyd and the race tensions and all the things we've been seeing nationwide and worldwide. And with all of the stuff that we've been immersed in, um, these are, none of these things are new things. They're things that history, they've played out repeatedly in a cyclical kind of fashion. 
But what can tend to happen to us as the people of God in the midst of these kinds of situations is we can tend to lose sight of who we are mm -hmm. and why we're here as the people of God. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we want to talk about a little bit before we set up our conversation about how do we bridge this divide. I think it's important for us as kingdom people to kind of get back to this uh, recollection of, well, who are we? Why are we here? And then how can we be different in the midst of uh, the typical things that play out? And so we're going to look at a verse today, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. I'm going to read it for you guys. Um, Jeremiah 27, 29, verse 7 says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. And so Jeremiah was one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He was an Israelite. He, his hometown was Jerusalem. And he had been warning uh, his people for years um, to stay faithful to God and not just to allow themselves to be pulled along by the natural course of things in, in human history. And they weren't listening to him, and so eventually now Babylon, the great empire, comes and attacks Jerusalem and utterly destroys Jerusalem and takes uh, many of its population, many of its people off into exile in Babylon. Jeremiah is among the people that are left behind in Jerusalem, but there's a whole host of Israelites that are now in Babylon, and they've been there for some time. And Jeremiah is hearing about them and, and what they're struggling with. And what they're struggling with in the empire is a couple possible options where they can either, some of them were probably holding out this uh, heaven later mentality, holding out the hope to return home to Jerusalem. And so they were just digging their heels in and just waiting for this day when they'd be able to return to Jerusalem. Kind of like the heaven after we die way of looking at our faith. Other folks were probably losing sight of their true homeland and the way things were. And they were just being tempted and pulled in the direction of just going along with the flow of Babylon. And so Jeremiah hears about this and he writes them a letter from Jerusalem to encourage them as the people of God to stay focused. And he tells them, well, you're not going to be returning home anytime soon. So start building homes, plant gardens, get married, have children, put your roots down because you're going to be here a while. But then he says this, he tells them two things. He says, seek for the welfare of this city that you're in. It's not your home, but it is your home for now. And seek for its welfare and pray to God on its behalf. And the word for welfare there that in the Hebrew is this powerful, beautiful, amazing word, shalom. Uh, the word shalom is oftentimes thought of as the word peace or interpreted as peace, and it is that, but it's so much more than just what we think of as peace. The word shalom is a really robust word that includes uh, uh, wholeness and thriving and mutual unity and harmony and well-being where everything is as it should be. And so Jeremiah is writing to the people of God to seek this thing called shalom for the city that they're in. Um, and that's what we're called to do as the people of God. I'd like to just talk a little bit about this word seek, though because it's not just something we're supposed to seek in our heads. It does, he does tell them to pray for this thing, intercede to God on, on the behalf of this shalom. But the word seek, uh, the, the Hebrew roots of this word are really interesting. It has the idea of walking a path and repeatedly and patiently and persistently walking that same path until little by little a pathway is actually etched into or carved into the earth. And so it has this idea of continuing in a path or a way of life over time, 
uh, patiently and just pursuing this uh, little by little over time so that eventually now there's a pathway that's visible, others can follow it, and actually it changes the very landscape. Walking this path actually carves and etches into the very earth uh, and changes its landscape. And so uh, the way of life of the people of God can be like this. And Jeremiah is calling us to this way of life where we are walking the way of shalom um, very patiently in day-by-day situations and encounters. And as we do that, we're, we're actually changing the landscape of the land. It's not going to change overnight. It's not, gonna, it's not a revolution that will instantly make things better. Um, Jesus talked about this sort of slow pathway carving life. He talked about his kingdom being like a leaven. A little bit of leaven kind of permeates a lump of dough and it doesn't look like it's doing much at first, but over time it has a pretty big impact. He also talked about this mustard seed, a very small thing that over time becomes a very big thing and actually brings a blessing to uh, the people around it. He also talked about salt permeating a, a society in a way that brings preservation and life and hope. Jesus also modeled this idea of shalom in that he, we talked about shalom being this harmony and this unity that's been lost in the division of humanity into otherness instead of oneness. And what Jesus did, when he, and he modeled this pathway of shalom by saying, well, I'm going to form a little community here, and it's going to be a foretaste of what the future looks like. But I'm going to include in my community Matthew, who is on the far right of the political spectrum. He's a tax collector. He's wealthy. He's gone along with empire in, in Babylon, so to speak. I'm going to invite him into my community. I'm going to invite somebody from the farthest possible opposite end of the spectrum, Simon the Zealot, who was a revolutionary who was trying to kill people like Matthew hmm. because they were compromisers. So Jesus brought into his community two people that would never normally have gotten along together or lived together. Somehow the teaching and the example and the vision of Jesus held them together. And that's our call as the church. So we're going to be talking this morning, having a conversation. Well, how, how can we live out this vision as shalom bringers? How can we bring shalom and help etch the landscape with this pathway that's very different than the world has laid out for us? Thank you so much, Kevin. What a beautiful picture. And what a beautiful lead into our discussion today that as people of God, that we are called to seek the welfare, the goodness for our city. And how do we, by our daily actions and daily interactions, do that and come together from those who maybe don't see things the way we do? That's, that's so beautiful. And so to help us with this discussion today, we have the honor of having Bill Doherty with us. And I want to tell you guys a little bit about Bill. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for being here. We really appreciate it. We know that you you were originally coming to chat with Greg, but you still showed up to chat with us today. Uh, Greg who? <laughs> right? After, Greg after who? you two? That's right. That's right. Um, Bill is a professor of family social science at the U of M, and he has many specialties. He's hugely resourced as well. Uh, he's written many things, but he specializes in a couple of things that we found super intriguing, especially given the topics that we have been discussing over several weeks. So polarization issues, you specialize in um, de-escalation conversations, especially amongst families. And I think that's been um, something that has been super eye-opening. Um, we are used to around here talking about how there is no other. It's not us versus them. And that usually feels really broad and big. And like we think of the other as way over there. But what we're finding during this time, Bill, is it's like actually like sometimes even in our own home, <laughs> for sure in our communities and in our neighborhoods where 
um, we are at odds with one another during this really polarizing time. And so you've worked with helping couples who are on the brink of divorce kind of work their way through that. And so you have a lot of expertise and we were so thankful that you're gonna share some of that with us today in this conversation with Kevin and also during our live Q&A later. So please send in those questions because we've got a couple of experts here that we really wanna uh, utilize what they have to offer. So. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I've been following the series uh, and uh, excited. And I, I wasn't kidding when I said your intros here I just were deeply <laughs> inspiring to me. Awesome. It's so great to have you here. And Shauna mentioned a couple of experts. And that, because I know who Bill Doherty is, it's like that's not actually true. Bill is, Bill is a giant in, uh, I'm, I'm a clinical social worker and a therapist, as many of you know. And I happen to know that Bill is a very well-known giant in that field. Um, written a lot, published a lot, and he's done amazing work locally and nationally um, in this field. And so I'm, I'm very honored to be up here with an, the expert sure. and just to be able to have a dialogue well, with people you, People will decide that afterwards. Yes, so after. Let's go for well, it. We'll see how you'll do. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how you So, Bill, you've started this organization called Braver Angels, and it's specifically focusing on how do we bridge this political divide. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Braver Angels and why did you start it? What led to that? Yeah, so um, what I'm going to be doing is looking at you sometimes and looking at the camera That's sometimes. Fine. I have to acknowledge that because I'm a therapist. I'm used to doing this. That's but, right. right. Me too. But I'm going to talk to you <laughs> folks as well. So, um, again, I'm really happy to be here. And so how did a, a nice uh, marriage and family therapist get involved in political stuff? It, it happened in December of 2016. A lot of people may remember that was right after the presidential election. Actually, it was still in November of 2016. Uh, I was at my house in Roseville, Minnesota. I got a call from a colleague in New York City named David Blankenhorn, who had been on the phone with another colleague from Southwest Ohio named David Lapp. Uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan, entirely blue, Democrat, uh, Hillary voters, Southwest Ohio, almost all uh, Donald Trump voters. Antagonisms, huge, depression in New York, dancing in the streets mm -hmm. in, in Ohio, country divided, and they said, why don't we get together 10 Hillary Clinton voters and 10 Donald Trump voters together for a weekend in December? <laughs> and um, they called me, and, uh, and I said, Drew, that's pretty brave. <laughs> what were you thinking of doing with them? And they said they didn't know, but they thought I could figure that out. And I remember looking at my calendar, hoping I was not available <laughs> that weekend, but I was. <clears throat> uh, and so I flew there. We did 13 hours over a weekend, and it was powerful. Mm. And when we asked people why they came, they said, we can't go on this way. This was, this was a small town, uh, South Lebanon, Ohio. We have schools to run. We have roads to build. We have hospitals to take care. We have a generation to raise. We can't do it with this kind of rancor. Mm. Uh, and so it was a powerful weekend. And out of that came this Braver Angels. There have been a thousand workshops around the country, mm. and we're still going strong. That's awesome. So what would you say and then is the ultimate goal of Braver Angels then? What are you guys trying to accomplish? Well, a small goal of trying to depolarize America mm -hmm. 
and that is to try to move us away, not from policy differences, which are essential in a democracy, but uh, move away from hostility towards each other, viewing each other as enemies, mm. um, as objects of, of hate sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do this, and a big powerful part of this is that at, at every leadership level, Braver Angels is half red and half blue. What I mean by red is tend to be more conservative, tend to vote more for Republicans, blue, more liberal, tend to vote for Democrats, and there are people in between. But the charter of this, the charter was that all decisions are made by both reds and blues together. And so I have been in continual relationship for these four years mm. with, with people of, of great political diversity. And there is a kind of a crucible that occurs there that we do among ourselves what we hope to do for America mm. is, is what this is about. Wow, that's really beautiful to be a contrast community, to model this alternative way. So you talked about the extreme polarization, the tensions, the sort of demonizing from both sides. How, how would you assess where America is right now in general, not just politically, but culturally? And then how did we get here? What, what led us to be at this well, place? Well, where we are now is easier to describe than how we got here, because how we got here is very complex. <clears throat> but most historians are saying that we are more divided now than at any time since the 1850s. And we wow. know what happened after the 1850s. Wow. So we are um, tremendously divided in so many ways, uh, politically, culturally, um, uh, um, and uh, in our families. Uh, so I'm a family therapist, been at this for a long time. And I'm also a child of the 60s, so I remember the, what they call the generation gap, uh, the, the visions of the Vietnam War. People still did Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now they're not doing Thanksgiving dinner as much. Um, I, I work with couples. Uh, for the first time in my career, I see couples talking about divorce over political differences. Mm -hmm. I see family members cut off from each other. I see adult children and their parents cut off from each other. So we are in serious trouble, serious trouble as a nation. Now, the question of how we got here is very complex, and you guys have been talking about this uh, in this series. Um, and one thing I'd say is that political identity has become a core part of who we are. Mm. It's, it's, um, and that's unfortunate, I think. It's, it's replacing religion okay. as a core part. Am I, am I conservative? Am I liberal? Okay. Mm. Am I a Democrat or am I a Trump supporter or am I a Biden supporter? This is running really deep and it relates to our sense of ourselves, who we listen to, who we admire, mm -hmm. and also things like what cars we drive. Wow. There's a wonderful book by a guy named political scientist, Hetherington, called Prius or Pickup. Oh, wow. If you drive a Prius, you're likely to be blue. Mm -hmm. If you drive a pickup, you're likely to be red. <clears throat> what kind of beer you drink? Mm -hmm. Do you like the fancy beers or the Bud Light? Yeah. Uh, and so where we live, um, if you look at the map of the country, the, the red and blue areas, we don't, we don't relate to each other anymore. We're in silos now. Mm -hmm. So um, lots of factors have led us to be a divided nation and a divided people. So it seems to me like politics has become polemics. You know, the, the essence of politics, polis, going back to the Greek word, was a community 
coming together and working together for the benefit of the whole community. And polemics is about um, sort of arguing and proving the other person is wrong, proving my side is right, your side is wrong. And so that's, this, that's a sad reality that politics has been polemicized so much. But what can we do to begin to reverse this trend? I know from reading a little bit about your background, Bill, and knowing a little bit about who you are, you've worked as a marriage and family therapist, as you said. Shauna made reference that you started the um, Couples on the Brink project, and I've done quite a bit of couples therapy. It's one of the hardest things to do. You, it, there's a little bit of a red-blue sort of polarity mm -hmm. there, not necessarily politically, but it's hard to reconcile. There's there's you know 50% divorce rate in, in our culture, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also you started uh, an initiative where you're bringing police officers together with black men into dialogue, yeah. and so you must have an amazing ability to help people talk or even want to continue or start talking across this divide. How can we, you're doing it in Braver's Angels, but how can we get these kinds of similar conversations going in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our churches? Yeah, it's, it's a matter of <clears throat> creating a container, a container where we can bring our best selves and not our polemic cells, if mm -hmm. you will, mm -hmm. okay? A, a, a way that we can slow down, we can turn off our amygdala, as, yeah. you know, um, and we can actually listen to each other. Mm. So I'll give you an example of, um, of something we do in our Braver Angels Red Blue Workshop, just to make it concrete. Mm -hmm. um, so we have seven reds, seven blues, they're coming together for either three hours or a full day. And everybody's got their own views. And by the way, people come with very strong views and we're not trying to get them to change their views on policies. Mm. We're hoping that people will change the views of each other. Mm. Okay, that's what this is yeah, about. Okay. okay, not being everybody purple or centrist. And so there's, there's an exercise called a fishbowl exercise. And what it means, a fishbowl is, is where you have a group who are like-minded in, in a circle in chairs in the old days, you know, now it's on Zoom. Um, having a conversation with the facilitator. And then in the outside circles is the group on the other side. So let's say the reds are in the middle first and the blues are in the chairs on the outside. Mm -hmm. And when you're on the outside of the circle, your job is to listen to these folks in the middle, talk about something that's important to them mm -hmm. and learn learn about how they see the world and see if you see anything in common. Mm. But you're not allowed to talk, <clears throat> interrupt, roll your eyes, and you don't have to go, you don't have to engage. <clears throat> you can just listen. Mm. Most of us have a little or no opportunity to listen to people who are different from us talk among themselves without us feeling like we have to respond in some way. So, and here are the two questions that each group asks, the answers. Why are your side's values and policies good for the country? Why are your side's values and policies good for the country? So put the best stuff out. Why is conservative points of view the best stuff for this country? Why is liberal, why is it best for the country and its people? And then the second question is, <clears throat> what are your reservations or concerns about your own side? What are your reservations or concerns about your own side? Mm, and then good. that gives us a chance, gives people a chance to practice humility. Very good practice humility. And what happens is, and then they switch roles. So what happens is you, you get to humanize these folks as they talk about their ideals and they also exercise humility. In fact, what happens is they have some of the same criticisms of themselves that you have of them. If you give them a chance, if you give them a chance. Yeah, that's very good. So I also like to, to we have a new project called With Malice Toward None. 
all right, <laughs> which is related to the hostilities that are around this election. Okay. And what we're inviting Americans to do <clears throat> is to take a pledge about how we are going to regard people on the other political side, whether my side wins or loses. 60 million Americans, plus or minus, are going to be happy with this election, mm -hmm. and 60 million, plus or minus, are going to be very upset. Yeah. How are we going to regard each other, win or lose? Very and so I'd like to read the pledge yeah, here. Please do, yeah. And I think it's on the slide as well. Because this captures the essence of, of braver angels. Regardless of how the election turns out, I will not hold hate, disdain, or ridicule for those who voted differently from me. Whether I am pleased or upset about the outcome, I will seek to understand the concerns and aspirations of those who voted differently and will look for opportunities to work with people with whom I disagree. Mm. So let me unpack that a little bit. Yeah, please. Regardless of how it turns out, I will not hold mm -hmm. hate, disdain, and ridicule. I may have feelings, mm -hmm. and we can't, we can't uh, you know, uh, tell ourselves how to feel, right. yep. but I will not hold them if I feel disdain, if I feel hate, if it, I, will, I will try to let those go, will not hold them. And then regardless of whether I'm uh, uh, pleased or upset, I will try to understand the aspirations and concerns of those who voted differently. I'll try to understand. Doesn't mean I agree with them. Right, exactly. Doesn't mean I'm gonna change my principles. I wanna understand mm -hmm. people who voted differently and I will look for opportunities to work with them for the good of the that's country. Beautiful. That's and beautiful. so that's, that's this, pledge that Absolutely. we now have for this election season. It's very powerful, Bill. So um, I love how you said that the goal of, you know, this, this red-blue conversation isn't to change the other person's, um, how they see the issues, but to help us change how we see each other. Right? Yes. And yes. that's very, very powerful. I imagine you've had some pushback or has it been pretty easy to find groups that are willing to come together? Why would people who have such deep, deep differences on the level of their, their visceral convictions, why would they want to come together in these dialogues? And then what's maybe some of the pushback you've gotten around this? Well, the, the pushback is that some people take that pledge to, to, to mean that you're giving up your principles, you're conceding to the other side, right. you're doing an equivalency, okay, we're all just regular folks here, mm. and, um, and so your perspectives is as good as mine. Mm -hmm. um, and what it is, it's about how I'm going to, whether I'm going to treat you as a fully human person worthy of my, my concern, mm -hmm. uh, whether uh, I, I am, or whether I'm going to demonize and distance from you. Exactly. And why should we do this? I don't think we have a ch choice. Yeah. Yeah. if we're going to keep the country going. Yeah. Uh, in one of our Red Blue workshops here locally in St. Paul, at the end when we asked people to say why, what they t took with them, uh, a, a young man who was a Red on the conservative side said, neither side is going to ultimately vanquish the other, and so we're going to have to figure out how to get along and run the country together. Mm -hmm. And what's happening every four years is, uh, when we engage in, we have to engage in competition, so we're competitive here. Um, we have this idea that if my side gets the, you know, the 51 seats in the Senate yeah. and the presidency, it's all a glory train after that, the other side is going to go away. Mm -hmm. These issues of liberal conservative have been with us from the beginning of the country. There's healthiness in it. It's gotten toxic now. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I don't think we have a choice. 
right. but to talk to each other. And you said, so the unifying vision, at least um, one level of unifying vision would be, we both sides care about their country, care about this nation, care about the usness of the nation. That, and we're so divided on this level. You mentioned earlier, Bill, about you know, policy level and value level. And could you say a little bit more about, because it seems like where we clash is the policy level, and that's yeah. where we end up having these fights and seeing each other as enemies. But um, how do we get folks down to the level of maybe our values, maybe we value some of the same things. Poli we see policy differently, but values. Say a little bit more about how you help people get down to a conversation on that level. Well, one of the uh, big experiences I've had with Braver Angels uh, came with, uh, uh, we did a bus tour. Um, we had, uh, after I did a National Public Radio interview about Brave Angels in 2017, we got invited by lots of people around the country to come to their town and run workshops. And so we raised a little money, we rented a bus. It was actually a politician's bus. It was former Representative John Boehner's bus and his bus driver. Wow. Okay? So we went through uh, eight states and 16 towns <laughs> running these wor workshops. We were like a grade B basketball team, you know, going from town <laughs> to town and running plays awesome. and, and uh, sleeping wherever we could. Uh, <clears throat> but it was an intense experience of engaging a lot of Americans around mm -hmm. these conversations. <clears throat> and one of the things that I really learned from that is that we are often closer together on what we value and aspire to for, our, for Americans, for our children and our grandchildren than we are on policy. So mm -hmm. m almost everybody wants our children to be well-educated. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody wants uh, everyone to have access to good health care. Yeah. We want national security. Yeah. Uh, we, we want people to prosper. Mm -hmm. We differ on how to get there, mm -hmm. and we differ sharply, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So let's take something like uh, education. We have, um, again, I don't know anybody who doesn't want all of our children to be well-educated, right. but we differ on how much we want to emphasize public schools yeah. versus charter schools mm -hmm. uh, versus vouchers. Uh, is the public school system, uh, can it, how much it can be improved? Do we need alternatives for it? Um, uh, where's the level of local versus national control? So we differ sharply mm -hmm. uh, on, on means. Policies, then, mm -hmm. are not the ultimate value. Yeah. Uh, two people can be f for equal opportunity for all Americans and differ on whether affirmative action, yeah. which is a policy that came in the 1960s, is still the best way to do that. Yeah. But what happens in our conversations is if you and I disagree about a policy which is a means to an end, then I assume you don't want the end. Exactly. You don't want yep. our children to be yeah. educated. You don't want equal opportunity. Yep. You want people to die on the streets because mm -hmm. you are not, um, you, you, you do not agree with my policy. You're conflating the policy and the value. Yes. And, and then we're projecting that onto people. That's very divisive. And, and then we don't occupy the same moral universe yes, together. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you become somebody foreign to me. Yeah. How, 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 we, we, we don't. And inferior. So there's this yes. tenant, there's the, the inevitable outcome of that would be moral superiority, moral yes. inferiority, right? So if you don't think this or that thing is valuable or important, you must be less than human. And I must That's be more right. moral than you. Yeah. Uh, and I want to go back to what Shonda said, not lording it over. Yeah. That, that, that's a beautiful way to think about this. Mm -hmm. That I, I, I am a person of, of a lot of convictions about yeah. values and politics and other things. What I've been trying to do 
kind of cleanse myself from braver angels is to lord it over you, which means that I am superior to you. I am morally superior to you yeah, yeah. Uh, because I have the better viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to get away from. And when that happens, when that happens, we start to connect and we start to influence each other. Most of us want to be influential about these key things. I'm in healthcare, I care passionately about it, okay? Yes, absolutely. I work around cross-racial stuff, I care passionately about yes. this. Yeah. But if I can cleanse myself from uh, dominion over you morally yeah. and listen to you, mm -hmm. then I'm actually more influential. And by the way, you actually influence me, darn. Yeah. But that happens too. <laughs> well, you talked earlier, Bill, about humility. And you know that is one of our core um, kingdom values as Jesus followers is because he demonstrates this humility. But it seems to be the thing that's the l biggest lack in the political dialogue. There's this certainty, there's this superiority. And so how do we get to that place of humility? Because I think you, you're talking about uh, how will I be getting to the place where I'm not going to just look down on your particular political position and, and dehumanize you, but I'm going to be open to sharing my conviction, but in a way that says, you know, I, I feel really strongly about this. It goes down to my bones, down to my toes in my conviction, my values, but I might not have all the answers. I might not see everything that I need to be seeing. How can we help ourselves and others, each other, get to that place? I imagine that humble posture would be very essential for these kind of blue-red dialogues. Yeah, well, we, so where I have gotten, I'll just be personal about this, where I have come to is um, that I am more humble than I used to be about whether I know the best way to get yeah. to where we need to go. Gotcha, yeah. Okay, that there's this term called wicked problems, mm. healthcare, education, uh, racial justice. Yep. These are wicked problems that many, many sources of the problem, many, many, I mean, going back generations very complex and solutions solutions are also going to be very complex yeah so I am passionate about goals yeah and I am more humble than I used to be that I have figured out how to get there we have to put our heads together mm -hmm. to figure those out yeah I think as as a follower of Jesus I think we of all people are sort of called to be and this the narrative we live under is one that tells us what well, we should be humble because the world is a mess because we thought we knew better. Mm. We've messed up the world thinking we knew better than God, if you will, how to solve problems, what kind of decisions to make. And so there's this definite need for this posture of humility that we don't really know everything that we need to know, but we could know more if we came together. I feel like politics throughout history has been this effort of humans to really solve mutual problems mm -hmm. and working together to do it. But unfortunately, one of the aspects of the fall has been this division and this animosity towards each other. And pride versus humility has been at the core of that divide as well. And it seems like, how could we ever get past that? But you seem to be pretty optimistic. So you're, this, this work you've poured yourself into, you've done it with couples on the brink, you're doing it with you know, black men and the police, and now you're trying to help us across the red-blue line. And those are th things that many people maybe have given up on. Like, how, we can't, this is undoable. Yet yeah, you seem very optimistic that we can change. America can change. We can get to a better place. Help us to see what you're seeing. Tell us what's going on in your heart about that. I loved your image of etching the path. Okay. <laughs> Etch, that's, that, that's humble, mm. and it's exactly what we're doing. So um, we have to try 
This is our country. This is like if my family is falling apart, I have to try. I yeah, cannot yeah. give up. Not give up. Yeah. We, can, we have to try. Yeah. The only alternative to trying to heal our divides, which does not mean giving up your convictions, the only alternative is a civic divorce. And I don't know how we accomplish that. The candidate can't take us half of us. Yeah, yeah. A divorce or violence. Yeah, yeah. We are, like it or not, as messed up as we are, we're an American family. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, we occupy these shores. And so I have to believe in our capacity, and I do believe in our capacity. Mm -hmm. um, for, for me, uh, the, the divine presence here uh, is this, the, the, the spirit th that transforms us in ways we cannot transform ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. how I think about, yeah. about God. Uh, that which transforms us in ways we cannot transform ourselves. Mm. And our job, and I see my little job, is to create containers in which that divine force can transform us. And they have to be little, we etch a road, yeah. and we just stay on the road. Patient persistence on that different pathway. Your organization is named Braver Angels, and it comes from Lincoln's reference to better, our better angels, which it sounds like you're referring to there. It, yeah, I love how you said we are a family. It seems like your paradigm is you view not just your nuclear biological family or even your political family as, as this unit that you belong to, but the nation. And larger than that, even humanity, right? Seeing humans across the board as this family. And I'm sure then your marriage and family therapy background kind of kicks into gear there. It's, it's basically the same stuff you do there in families, helping them to understand each other, listen to each other, feel heard, connect at the deeper level of shared values and understand at that other level of different, uh, different approaches, different strategies to achieve those values. Well, this has been awesome. We're gonna move hey. into a time of right. Q&A. Um, thank, thank you. Great to have you, I Bill. I was with a really good therapist here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel better. Right. So Shauna, you're gonna take us into a time of some questions and Yeah, response. I'm just, I was so enjoying your conversation. I um, almost, wasn't paying attention to the, but I was, I was paying attention to the questions, but thank you both for such an important conversation. And we've gotten some really good questions in, and you guys touched on so much. So you may feel a little bit like, well, I thought we talked about that, but I think people are just really on the brink yeah. um, and it's really close to home. And so any help you guys can provide and insight would be beautiful. And so we're just gonna get started. Um, and there is still time. Uh, to text in a question if you would like, and, and we might be able to get to it. But, uh, and you guys can decide who wants to answer it. Um, you both have much to say, I'm sure. That would be helpful. Uh, Bill, I loved how you talked about how we don't occupy the same moral universe. And I think that, I mean, it seems so simple and basic, but it was such a good reminder. It's such a good reminder. And so that leads me to this question we have from someone who's asking um, about the 500 plus children separated um, from their families because of, they, as they put it, bad immigration policies. They see this as there is no other side. Um, can you discuss the concept of false equivalency and mm. how to handle it? Yeah, I, I love the question. I know. <laughs> I love the question. Um, so nothing that I'm talking about, that Braver Angels talks about, is that everything is equal, every, right. every, every side has, has equal merit on all issues. Um, the, the, the children, that horrible, that horrible separation of children from their parents is a, I'll give you my, a terrible policy 
Um, hardly anybody defends it anymore. I mean, what, even if you watch the debate the other night, the mm -hmm. President Trump was saying, well, you guys did it first. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody is distanced from it. So there's no, there's, I don't think there's any ethical way to explain that, to justify that. However, if you go up a level to immigration policy, well, then we have a question of whether um, a, a nation can be a functioning unit without some way to control its borders and to regulate the inflow and outflow of people. Um, and there, I think there is agreement among most people that we need some rules. Uh, and therefore, uh, then the policies are how do we do that? Mm -hmm. When you drill down to those children, there, I don't see any way to justify, I don't know anybody who justifies that now. Uh, maybe there are some. So there's no equivalency there, but as reasonable people, we need to debate how open and closed our borders ought to be, or how to regulate the inflow of people. That's where we can have some common values. Mm. Mm. Very good. Kevin? Yeah, I love how you stepped it up from that, that level where, again, you said most people are very much in agreement on this terrible atrocity of these children being ripped away from parents, um, but there's still fighting going on on that level. But then stepping it up to, if we're going to be a nation, we, the, we need to have structures and we need to have uh, border regulation. We do that with commerce and trade, we do it with travels and visa, et cetera. And so there needs to be something like that now that we're, now on, the, we're on the strategy level. Mm -hmm. And so how can we come together as a, as a polis rather than in polemics to solve that problem together? And it will take different perspectives being willing to talk to each other to come up with a better solution. Mm -hmm. But we often just stay down on that polarized right, level. Right. I, I think mm -hmm. we really need to, to step it up. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I'm giggling because there's been, you know, we have this live chat that happens while the sermon is playing. And so there's been some conversations, a little bit of rumbling on there and some people feeling like this has gotten way too political, this conversation. And so where is Jesus in this? And can we bring it back to Jesus? And I, I, I think we have, we, we've, we've bathed it in kingdom values. But for those who are feeling like, this is not, um, you're not giving us answers about how to be kingdom minded in yeah. this conversation. Can we help these guys out a little bit? Yeah, I'll start with that one. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, starting with that Jeremiah passage, it was the prophet, God speaking through the prophet to the people of God mm -hmm. um, to be the people of God yeah. in the midst of the broader world. And it was because he loved the broader world. Yes. It wasn't that he, you know, that they were his special people. He only cared about the Hebrews in Babylon. He cared about the whole world, but he, and that's why he was having them work for the shalom of that city because they were the people through whom shalom could come because he is shalom. And so I think that's our role. And so I feel like, yeah, as G and Jesus modeled this, right? So we talked about how uh, his goal was to be the city on the hill, if you will, in Matthew 5, where we are such a, a community of shalom, of right relatedness, of respect, mutual respect and dignity among each other, that then that now spills out and overflows so other people can see who God is and what he's really like, mm -hmm. because this is how we live. Yeah. This is what we're like. And if we're doing this and it looks different than the world around us, which is always going to be antagonistic and divided. But if we're somehow able to live across these lines like a Matthew and a Simon, um, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male, female, all the different lines that the early church crossed so powerfully. 
And we're not, we failed in this as the church, unfortunately. But it is our call, and this is what Jesus modeled for us. It's what he died for. It's what he calls us to. He's trying to bring together one new humanity, the New Mm -hmm. Testament tells us. That oneness that he prayed for on the night before he went to the cross. I pray that they would be one Mm -hmm. within my followers in this beautiful, diverse unity. Shalom right here. It's It's a living, tangible shalom. And then that permeates out and others see that and now we can help be bringers of shalom. And so I feel like that's our calling. That's where Jesus comes into this whole thing. If we're not able to be united across these lines, we're not showing who God really is and what he's like. And we're failing in our, our moment, our opportunity of being shalom bringers, mm-hmm. bringing the well-being to Babylon, if you will. Well, yeah, and I, I just, like, as kingdom people, we interact, we live, we, we have spaces in the world, and the things that affect the world should ca- catch yeah. our attention so that we can bring a different way, a third way of being Absolutely. and doing and responding. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like Jesus is completely baked into this as kingdom Absolutely. people, and I love your response to that. Um, so many times throughout this series, we've had people who, um, and, and I understand, and, and remember, we, we are all dealing with this from our own experiences, some of us from our own woundedness, and, and this, this particular election feels really heavier and darker than, than once previous mm-hmm. um, because of, of the labels that we we're attributing to the different sides. And so we have more questions today. And this specific question, who is coming from a person of color? And, and admittedly, they're saying, I'm really struggling with what, what's being said today because they feel as if we are saying, again, just to not stand up against the systemic racism, to not stand up against the white supremacy, and just to uh, go along with it, go along to get along. Um, yeah. And, and, and they're saying that they don't see the benefit or need to understand racist or those with racist ideologies. And mm. so that's not what we're saying. However, right. I think it would be helpful if you guys could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Again, a very important question. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like to think about three R's at the same time. Resist, respond, and repair. Mm. And resist means to stand up against forces that you see as evil. Um, and to push back. Uh, Respond is to have something else to substitute. Like if the forces of evil retreat, what are we gonna do next, Mm -hmm. okay? And then repair is to to work to restore the the social fabric that has been torn apart. Mm -hmm. All are important. We've been talking this morning about the repair. They're all important. Mm. They're all important. And the other thing I say is, when we seek, when we stop seeking to understand, mm-hmm. we can't ever bring somebody back into the community. Mm-hmm. We try to understand people who have committed murders. We try to understand people in prison. People have done mm-hmm. horrible things. I have to understand what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, so my own view is just strategically, Racism comes out of somewhere. It just doesn't yeah. pop out of people's heads that, that they're haters someday. Mm-hmm. It comes out of, out of experiences and social forces and influences. And it's part of my job, I'll just make it personal, is to try to understand where that comes from in people so that we can try to work around it and against it. Mm. Mm. 
I'd like to add to that, yeah. um, you know, thinking about what the unique sort of angle that Jesus took. Jesus wasn't your typical revolutionary, but he did bring about a revolution. He did resist and he responded to the issues of his day yeah. on every level in a, in a way that was strong. It got him killed, yep. right? But it was not the expected way. It wasn't adversarial. Uh, Jesus told us to love enemies. Uh, Howard Thurman years ago said that in order for us to live out that ethic, to love enemies, we have to figure out a way to eliminate the category of enmity. And we do that by reaching across the aisle. So when we're dialoguing with those who we strongly disagree with, we're not compromising. We're doing what Jesus said, which was let's destroy enmity. Let's, let's find a, a, a common humanity underneath this. Martin Luther King modeled this obviously in the civil rights movement where he trained and taught his, his followers. If you're gonna be part of this movement, uh, our movement is a non-hate, non-violent movement. And so you can't do what we're trying to accomplish by hating the oppressor. You have to see the oppressor differently. Mm -hmm. They can no longer be seen as your enemy. We need to collapse that category of enmity. And I think that's really what this is about. We're still resisting. Mm -hmm. There's an amazingly powerful resistance and response that's done by reaching across the aisle. Just this past week, uh, Oshida um, showed a video to our SOMA students from Daryl Davis. It's a TED Talk. Daryl Davis is an African-American gentleman who reached across the aisle to befriend a KKK Grand Imperial Wizard and get to know this man. So an African-American musician developing a friendship with a KKK Imperial Wizard. And a lot of people scratched their heads and said, why would you ever want to do that? And it was because Daryl Davis understood this idea. I want to collapse enmity. I want to reach across the aisle. I want to understand on the deepest level, what, why is this important to this man? They ended up becoming great friends. Eventually, uh, the KKK leader left the KKK. And so that was the most powerful way to bring about a change in that man's life, was for somebody to not see him as an enemy and reach across with the desire to be curious and understand. So I feel like it is a powerful resistance yeah. plan. Having said that, yeah. I understand that for people at certain times, they just don't have the energy or the desire. Yeah. yeah. And you can be exhausted, mm. um, feeling uh, like you, you just don't want to reach out. And I, yeah. I, I, at a human level, I completely understand that. Yeah. At the level of us as we the people, we cannot fail to yeah. try to understand. That's a good yeah. point. Thank you for that. And I think um, we can I think you guys would agree that we are in no way saying um, to just lay down and allow those things to come at you if, right. if you are a person who has been impacted by racist rhetoric or racism. And so mm -hmm. it is so important yeah. to acknowledge that and resist. You both said that that is key to resist, but it's in how that we resist yeah. is where the kingdom piece yeah. comes how. in. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just want to thank you all for your questions. We want to thank you for um, just your, your, your dialogue. We want to thank you for just, just putting it out there, where, what you're going through, where you are, and what you're struggling with. And thank you guys for your conversation. And um, the conversation will continue. I know we'll get more questions in, and we'll try to hit them in various ways, either on the Musecast or um, maybe online or something, or maybe in the next series. But I'd like to end. We have got one more question. And um, this is just someone who very honestly, and that's the thing, I love the honesty of these 
these questions that have come in. They have just said, I have zero interest in debating my family any longer who are on the other side right. politically. They are not going to change my mind. I am not going to change their mind. I have zero desire to have the conversation. I want to avoid it at all costs. However, because I am a kingdom person, should I find a way to engage in that kind of a dialogue? Or is it okay to have the good old, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, <laughs> we're just gonna all get along if we avoid those topics? Well, a great one to end on. In the Brave Angels, we have a new workshop called Families and Politics. Oh. Okay, very cool. So there are no shoulds here for me about any individual that you should mm -hmm. be talking to this family member about politics. Everybody has to make their own decision mm -hmm. on this. But what I can say, what I heard in the question was debate yep. and convince. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a good point for me to end on. A cardinal principle for the, of the Brave Angels way to talk is to, is to give up the idea that you're gonna change somebody's mind mm -hmm. through the brilliance or the moral passion of what you're gonna say. Yeah. The goal is to understand them and to speak your mind mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that they may be able to hear you. So the key to that was debate and convince. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what gets us anywhere. Yeah. Uh, to try to understand uh, to, and to try to understand more deeply, uh, to be able to express myself and see where we end up if you want to with your family, yeah. if you want to. If you want to. That stood out to me too, the debate, and then later into that question was dialogue. Mm -hmm. And those are pretty different, yeah. right? So debate is about convincing. Dialogue is let's think together. Let's, let's li listen together. And I would say, again, it's up to anybody's choice. I, I, I totally agree with Bill that some of us are just worn out or tired and we've had thousands of, we've attempted to even be curious and understand the other person and they're still trying to convince me. Um, so that's fine, don't, you don't have to do this. But if this person unilaterally were to say, well, I, I really actually want to understand, I don't want to talk about politics, I want to talk about values. I want to talk about heart mm -hmm. longings. Mm -hmm. And let me understand yours. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're, this is really important to you and I'll grant that. So let me understand what longing is that fulfilling. So I think there's where dialogue can happen. But yeah. we would have to give up our agenda to want to have equal time. Yeah. We would need to be willing to say, well, the Bible says, be quick to listen, so to, slow to speak, slow to anger. Well, I'm going to spend that time just being a listener. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm not going to try and have the equal time of a debate. Mm -hmm. so. Wonderful yeah. questions. I really oh, appreciate yeah. it. Weren't they good? Yeah, I really, really appreciate good pushbacks. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, I think it is so important. As you guys were just talking about that last question, I was just thinking, like, you really, in order to genuinely enter into that dialogue, and, and with people that, that if, they're, if they're in your life, I have to assume that you care about them. Yeah. So to enter into that dialogue, I would think you've got to put away any preconceived determinations that you've made about their why yeah. and when you're really trying to get at the heart of what they think or what they feel or, or, or why they are supporting um, policies that they are supporting if you've already made up your mind and you've like I don't want to talk about them yeah. I just don't see that there is a bridge but mm -hmm. um, if you care about them it could very well possibly be an opportunity to understand them a little mm -hmm. better yeah. not saying that you'll your mind will be changed yeah. or their mind will be changed but Not understanding goal, yeah. yeah thank you i think of you bill as a bridge builder yes <laughs> pulling sure. people out away from the brink to further engage with one another and stay in relationships so thank you for all that you've offered and kevin as usual thank you so much um really good insight i we ran out of time and i'm sorry and i know that there are more questions coming in uh so just stay tuned and hopefully we can get to them another week otherwise please
please, if you have prayer requests or anything that you need prayer for, please hop onto our Zoom. Prayer uh, partners are there waiting for you to pray. Continue to pray for Greg. He's feeling much better, but we just want him to get all the way healthy. And also remember, we will continue the conversation on Tuesday during the newscast and during our gathering groups this week. So just be a part of those if you'd like. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day.